Jared has made things happen. Hi, everyone. It's been a while. <laughs> I, I keep... It hasn't been a while. I keep on starting podcasts that way. Damn it. <laughs> Time just keeps on slipping into the future. It's been a while, everyone. So welcome to Trying to Be Kind, a podcast that looks at RPG texts and RPG history texts, or RPG theory in general, under an academic lens. And normally we start with a question, but for some reason today, we seem to be stuck. We've been bouncing from question to question today. Yeah, I think it's hard to kind of have a good potpourri question that's like, you know, get to know someone or like break the ice, but isn't like, you know, the veer too hard into like way too personal or like results in a charming anecdote mm-hmm. that goes on too long. Well, it's our Christmas episode. What's everyone's favorite Christmas okay. song? All my friends all in retail music. will hate me for saying this, but I do love a good Mariah All I Want for Christmas. It is such a banger. It's such it's a banger, though. Universal response, actually. I was going to say that, and I worked in retail. Like, let me tell you, I'm not a Christian, and hers at least contains messages I understand. You want to bang. It's a holiday. That's great. As a queer person, I could appreciate her straight version of that. All she wants for Christmas is you. When you think about it, she's really objectifying a person. (laughs) You know, maybe Mariah Carey is this new pansexual flag and icon. I'm not going to embrace a war on Christmas. I'm just going to embrace making Christmas for perverts until Christians abandon it. Well, Fiona, what's your favorite Christmas song? Oh, it, it's all I want for Christmas is you. Oh, also? Yeah. Okay, well, in that I, case, I'll, I'll be the one who, who says a different one, although I do think that's the correct answer. Uh, so, actually, I'm going to give you two. Here, here we go. I'm going to give you two. So, here's the fake one. There's, like, the honorable mention. So, I, I, I used to do a thing every December when I worked in coffee shops where occasionally I would put on um, the Gavin Breyer's uh, composition, Jesus Blood Never Failed Me Yet, which is, uh, uh, depending on which version you get, it's anywhere from 15 to, like, 50 minutes long. And it's a, there's a looping recording of like an old man singing this, like, I don't know, two or three lines of a song. And then the music just sort of builds over time. And I think it's very sweet and it feels very Christmassy to me, even though it's quite sad. And I made a girl cry once accidentally because she just sat in the coffee shop and listened to it for too long. Um, but my actual answer is Tatsuro Yamashita Christmas Eve. It's such a banger. It's excellent. Go look it up if you don't know it. Heard it. To be a descending voice, since we're all being obstinate, um, the Pogues Fairy Tale of New York, which I've performed as a duet with a lot of people, I usually do the Christy McCall part. That's a pretty good one. Okay. I I like it. I would care for that one. What's your favorite miserable Christmas song? Like, it's a song that's going to make you. Which one? Uh, Christmas. Paul McCartney one. The the Wings and Paul McCartney. Oh, you know the one. okay. Wonderful How about you, Christmas Fiona? Time? Um, wow, and now I'm blanking on it because I had an answer and then it just out of my memory. Answer yours, Mahar, and I'll think Mary, of it rudely did you interrupt know? you. That's a sad Christmas oh, song. That's it's a basically good one. like, yo, Mary, guess what? Your kid's going to grow up 
is going to grow up and do all these miracles. Oh, by the way, in the background, he's going to die. He's going to die bad, Mary. <laughs> it's like, it's in the, yeah. That's like looming in the background, like, Mary, did you know? And you're just kind of like, yeah. And just to highlight the good stuff. Mine was bad more in the annoying yeah. way, and that one's bad in the sad way. Uh, mine's O'Curville Rivers, John Allen Smith Sales, um, and I forget the other band, or it might also be O'Curville River again, but listening to Marvin Gaye alone at your parents' house on Christmas Eve. They're both just real sad holiday songs as you know someone who occasionally goes back to a small town i came from where i don't really know anyone going back home for christmas anymore. by the way mm. and uh, <laughs> i went for thanksgiving they don't get both <laughs> they, they choose they every don't year, get so both so what are you two doing for christmas i'm not a christian i keep saying this and no one takes me seriously at it i really do you believe it's weird that I'm compelled to celebrate mm. like a holiday for what are you a doing religion for winter that solstice? I don't participate in? <laughs> I'm a secular person. I like winter because it's Fiona, the season I'm other people don't you like. to celebrate like a meteorological event. <laughs> What's more secular than that? <laughs> I mean, I do like my own magical practice That's around true. it, but like, you're not supposed to talk about that. Right. Like I have a whole routine I've been working on about like, you know, is it nature violation to talk about like your sigil masturbation with coworkers because like it's chaos magic and thus religion or because it's sigil masturbation, you know, it's like a hard question and like, That's there's true. not actually a workplace guide about this. And I think, you know, <laughs> someone should write that like, how to talk to your coworkers about sigil masturbation. Wait, sorry. Is that sigil masturbation? See, this is why I don't talk about religion. Was that religion. sigil masturbation or was that? Yes. <laughs> because I heard civil masturbation. I'm like, mm, polite masturbation? Like, oh, how are you doing today? Sigil. <laughs> sigil. <laughs> sigil. Okay, with like, a G. Like with a G. the signifier, sign, or glyph. Okay, all right, all right. Because I honestly heard. Yeah, I have an accent. I honestly heard for a while civil. I say water too. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this is the idea. <laughs> sorry. No, I sorry. just. <laughs> <Civil> <laughs> masturbation sounds like some like incredibly twee <laughs> gathering for like people that like want to be like, I could at my I own mean, home, but then I have imagine? to clean up. What if there was a club where I could meet with like my to masturbate in a cigar you room. <laughs> it's like a 600 level class at Yale Could Law you School, I think. I'm so, so glad that this is definitely the best episode of us to have before we have any attempt to like Could you imagine? <laughs> oh yeah, everyone. So we've been doing this for two years and two months right now. Could you imagine? Two years and two months, more than 20 episodes. And um, yeah, I think... It would be good to announce right now that we are going to have to start ads, if only because this has been completely a labor of love. And um, we really have to, like, find ways to improve certain things about this podcast. Like, for example, I think it's not fair that our wonderful Jer Bear does not get a little something-something for doing all the editing and uh like we also invested a little bit in getting fiona a proper microphone so all those little things they add up 
So please donate. Will we start a Patreon? I highly doubt it. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, we're going to see yeah, the advertising see. thing works. Um, we it, haven't. If you have an ad blocker, it probably won't affect you. Like, I think it's bumper it's just, ads, right? Like, we just oh, yeah, yeah. say that we allow it and check what categories will allow. And yeah. So, you know, I think there's an integration for Podbean where we can say if you pay a dollar, it doesn't do that. But, like, we don't really want to get rich off of this. I'd like to just yeah, be able to pay Jared yeah. for doing the editing. Because, like, I, I, I say some dumb shit, and I trail well, off know, forever. I mean, it's a good so thing. I, I do want to say up front that, that just, just as a policy, I don't support anyone who advertises on this podcast, even if it's a good product or whatever. Well, you know, we, yeah, yeah like, we will, we are critics, first and foremost, <laughs> and thus... If you have a product and we don't like it, then we will not like it. We'll find something nice to say, even as we don't like it. It'll be one nice thing to say out of 19 other bad things to say. <laughs> you get 5% compliments, okay? That's the, hot, that's the best you can hope Look, for. Like, I, I just don't want to have to like work at a pitch for Squarespace that highlights that we work could in you, game design. Could you imagine? Because, like... Everyone in game design is either in tech or claims they Ooh. don't know what HTML is. Like, there's only two oh genders in games. And it's, yeah, I know a programming language or five. And how do I operate a computer? For a future where we're going to have, like, interstitials, which go something along the lines of, like, um, this friendship has is an international friendship straddling three different date lines. And we keep our, we keep our friendship intact using blank product the time zone the time zone app you can get you can get your time zone app at dot 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 slash with a 20 percent discount with code word trying <laughs> promo code trying <laughs> oh god yeah like, I, I mean like trying is a very funny yeah one. man that was like a a scream on par with oh, the ones no. in Nebraska. Well, the, the okay. So moving on a little bit from this, uh, from this uh, distressing descent into capitalism. So the book was, we're not going to edit it out. That, it's it those little moments that worry. we, that we reveal our true form. Okay. So the, <laughs> for a while there, I just saw a picture of a chimera in front of us and one was the goat and one was the dragon and one was the lion. And then a part of me was wondering who's the goat, who's the lion, who's the dragon. Anyway. So the, uh, yes, you I'm are the, the capital G O A T. Okay. So, uh, the book was dangerous games with a moral panic over role-playing games says about play religion and imagined worlds by Joseph P. Laycock. We looked over this with the wonderful Joe DeSimone who is not here because we are also looking at the whole year prior. We actually looked at quite a number of texts this year. Um, we, we covered several yeah. things this year. Um, my goodness. Uh, but of course I'm blanking out. I'm trying to remember what we covered this year. Uh, Finish the elusive shift. We covered critical roles, Cinderbrush, and we covered. Yeah, um, yeah. we began the games. year uh, in February. We took a break after December. We did the wrap up, and then Critical Hearts. Yeah, we did Critical Hearts. We did 
that with the wonderful Vi, you know, Huntsman. And then we then went into Dangerous Games. Oh, my goodness. Dangerous Games started in May, May, July, August. Yeah, we've spent a good bit of time with Dangerous Games, which I think is good. August, September, October. We did a good... Yeah, like seven, yeah, seven episodes, half a year on Dangerous Games. And, you know, it really felt like a semester of reading a good book. This was a good, it was a good time. I mean, we've yeah. fanned, well, Do we want um, to talk about what we're, we're going to wait because we need to confirm our guests and, well, we and stuff as well. But we, we are looking that. at, um, we are going to start mm-hmm. looking at textbooks or texts that are about community and how they reflect in design later on. But we're not going to be so North America centric soon. So the USAs will get a break. Yeah, I'm also really excited about the book because it's actually like one I think is really important. I mean, I think all books are important, but like you know, I tried to talk them into doing the creative gene by Hideo Kojima. Well, I mean, well, I like Hideo Kojima, but like I would admit that there's like a bit of a jump on video games, whereas like I think that like. A critical text about otaku in Japan um, has, and also how their mm-hmm. like communities use databases to categorize things and develop their own language, might be a good way to turn around and look at the forge through new eyes. But also we always ourselves go back to that in the forge? world we inhabit. But also <laughs> admit the massive goal. No, I mean I'm making a joke more than anything because, like, I think it would be trivially true to say that the forge like all nerd communities, you know, develops its own language in the same way that like, I have my own personal language about games. The forge did, um, develop their own language, very Mm -hmm. conscientiously, like very on purpose, which is interesting. And some of it had Um, some very strong mimetic success, you know, like I think even now. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of it really has like spread out. If anything, the fact that a lot of roads lead back to it is maybe my counterpoint to the idea people are forgetting it is they might've forgotten the source. Mm -hmm. They didn't forget like the tune, you know, does this mean that games since then have simply been poor cover bands of the original forge albums? Sorry, I was stretching the analogy a little bit. I mean, I... (laughs) Like, with a comparison that... No, I have a way off topic, like, weird rant thing, (laughs) but I figure I should not do that. (laughs) It's just just one of those days, I think. Like, But seriously, though, going back to what we covered this year, I'm quite proud of what we did. Uh, We did something that was very more multimedia, in the first one. And then after that, we just went straight into this book. And um, if anything, I think maybe that's a good thing that we should talk about, which is what do you think about this book made it so important to read that we needed to cover it? Like, why did we read this book? What, what made it so important, I guess, in retrospect, to really investigate what happened all those years ago? Well, I think like, the satanic panic stuck with us, right? Like, and I think that you can't get ink out of water, right? Like once it's in, there's just some degree to which there will be residual ink in the water, unless you're doing some sort of ridiculous chemical extraction, blah, blah, blah. But right. Like there's 
the way in which the Satanic Panic permanently changed games. Like, while it's an OSR era thing, and also one where I think both of the original posters are people that I'm going to avoid talking about, but you can find it hosted quite a bit on Reddit and such. There's an old TSR document about, right, like the moral parameters of the world, right? That like law enforcement will always be shown to be noble and good, except for when they serve an evil nation. Drugs will be shown as a thing that destroy your life. Um, you know, disability will not be depicted, kind of, or if it is, it will be like shown in kind of 90s language of sensitivity, etc. Where like, you see the gestures towards some things that are like pro-social, let's say. Like I, I have incredibly boring and tedious and long form opinions about like trying to legislate morality into systems and games and presentations rather than allow for the possibility of failure. But, you know, that is very much a response to the satanic panic as much as when the you know, when TSR went and, like, you know, removed devils and demons. Um, and it affects games still, right? Like, I think you could draw a line between that and how, like, content warnings now serve as a soft way of doing that, right? Like, rather than saying you can't depict this material, there is now a discourse around what material should you warn people about and, like, how do you present it, which is a change, but it also goes around some of the same questions about, like, does the designer choose what happens or how much authority do they have? And, you know, that's why I think the satanic panic is very relevant, but also because moral panics are a very common occurrence in the United States. I also think um, the book, and this is... Uh, part of it that kind of surprised me. I wasn't necessarily expecting this, um, but I think the book uh, had a lot to say about the way that games create, or rather the way that play creates meaning, um, which is not, again, necessarily what I expected out of this book. Um, but to me, that was the most uh, fruitful bit of the book. It was the, the part of it that uh, intersected with my own weird project uh the most and so i was really delighted by that bit of it um we spent you know we spent that entire episode talking about like liminoidal uh possibility and all of that um so all, all of that was really surprising and, and for that reason i'm really glad we did it you know in retrospect i was wondering about the whole discussion about the liminoid space and the liminal spaces and so on do you think for example just thinking back because i'm thinking in terms of the whole year would it have been useful for us to have known the function of games before we watched an actual play in the creation of those liminoid spaces? You know, now that you mention it, yeah, I think there's an amount of like, maybe you remember we spent so much time sort of trying to figure out why that, that particular AP felt bad, you know, or like false. I, it, Am I misremembering? Was that just me? But like, I feel like we really went back and forth about why it felt very postured and false. And maybe that's part of it is it never quite, like it wasn't liminoid, right? It didn't make it there, right? And so we can we can consider it, per, we, we could have 
sort of unpacked it in terms of in in those terms like how much is this a liminal space and how much is it an aluminoid space what's the potential in that way for like some kind of revolutionary change in paradigm or at least uh, a trying on of a new paradigm and what how much of it is just like already knowing kind of how you're going to come out of it yeah i think that was like it would have been so useful i mean the strength of the book i think is not just its historical perspective yeah. though it is important for that um like fiona said the satanic panic has it's really like i think such a seminal i don't want to use the word seminal um it's such a defining event yeah i, I mean I, I, right? I, I, but it's such a defining event that there's a mm-hmm. before the panic and after the panic i think of the games right so like because there's a before and after mm-hmm. And I never grew up truly in the before times, before games had a panic. You don't know anything else. So young gamers don't really know much in the way of, I mean, like OSR and so on, notwithstanding, you, you're still going to not have these. You're, by and large, I don't think you're going to have the kind of games that you had in the 60s and 70s prior to the panic anymore. So in terms of content and treatment of content and so on, unless something revolutionary happens, I think. Um, which is just so important because it frames how things are done so well. Like, if anything, this book, I think, truly frames what gameplay does and how it, um, I guess, emulates functions that we kind of take for granted. Like, to the point that I think even the earlier conversation where Fionn was saying, like, why are you making me why are you making me like talk about Christmas? I don't do Christmas. And then you realize, wait a minute, because Christmas is something we take so for granted that, that like, oh yeah, we need to think about it. And we, we kind of forget that it is for all intents and purposes, a religious holiday. Whereas these days I just tend to think of Christmas as finally the world decides to be as fabulous as me. Let's bring out the lights. But like, on your point, though, like the OSR actually is also very much because, you know, with my whole Forge thing last time, I do want to point out that I'm not just trying to be partisan to some non-existent entity. The OSR is very much a response to the satanic panic, right? Like most of oh, the people sure. that are most invested in referring to that very much see themselves as striking back to the sort of moral scolds of the 80s. The fact that, like, some of them have now joined forces with the moral scolds of the 80s to talk about how now actually the moral scolds are, like, the teenagers. The teenagers are wrong is its own thing. But, like, you know, I think that, like, that's also true. Like, really, there is no way of talking about any company at this point without on some way addressing the satanic panic like palladium still runs the disclaimer of like you know drugs and occultism aren't aren't real or aren't like things you should try in real life you know where it's like yeah dude this is a game where i like i can buy nuclear weapons in a starting menu i don't think it's but like, isn't that the life. problem though like <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> but you know that but that, that it's just such a it is such a. It, it is su- unfortunately. Yeah, I'm just trying to optimize such a my par- human like build. The, the pandemic was such a parrot pandemic. The panic. Oh gosh, they're all conflating. The panic was such a um, paradigm defining time. 
that we live with it until now. It's just, ugh. I mean, it kind of makes you want to speculate. What would games be like had the panic not happened? Like, what could we extrapolate from times before the panic? Where would games have been? Would we see games, for example, where you see recreational drug use happen? Do you, will you see, a, will you see systems where alignment, for example, is more rigidly held to or less? I'd argue less. I think alignment rules became far more defined because of the panic. You wanted to encourage people to be good. You wanted heroes to be good. I mean, it shows in the design as well where you have far more monsters <laughs> at, with, with neutral or evil alignments, which kinds of make it, kind of makes it moral to kill them rather than good creatures. And good creatures as a whole tend to have higher challenge ratings. They're harder to kill. I was just going to say that um, sort of on top of that, uh, I think there's there's an ideological um, element that sort of got calcified in the satanic panic where um, it, the satanic panic takes on the assumption on some level that game design, although they may not have even had the category to like name it game design, but what we call now game design for the satanic panic has to have a causal relationship with player behavior, right. In order for the satanic panic to work at all. Um, And I think that is a thing that we see carry forward even now. And it gets, it's sort of uh, bolstered by the existence of video games um, because there is, there's an argument to be made on that front with video games that I don't think can be made for RPGs necessarily. Um, but I, I think the satanic panic allowed that particular idea, right? This, this idea that the game book can, and in fact does um, cause and coerce players into behaving certain ways, not only in the game, but also outside of the game. Um, that idea to carry forward into our current uh climate and i think there would there would be a lot more latitude to move around inside of that or even completely outside of that um if the satanic panic had not existed um probably (laughs) well and i think also i remembered my point right like there's the sanitization of violence that like makes the game weirder right like it's in some ways weirder that you mulch hundreds of faceless enemies to achieve high levels Mm. in a way that in a gold stealing system that has baby orcs because of gold for XP, really, if you get to high level, you probably didn't kill that many people. You stole a lot, which might have a different moral balance. (laughs) But I think that that is the weird thing of like, a lot of the very uncomfortable material to the older game actually kind of asked, yeah, what does farming one HD monsters really mean? Like in a weird way is an adventurer, someone that is just a hired killer or is an adventurer, someone that inventures or explores the world or does something is an interesting question that I think gets destroyed when you move into a sort of building of a pre-written narrative and a more play-like effect in the sense of play style of like performance not 
play the thing that games supposedly contain, you know, to guarantee I mean, morality. When you think about it, RPG games, video game, and or otherwise, look at monsters not so much as... Because there's a difference between monsters being monsters and monsters and villains. I think that's a fairly important line to make. Like, I think with villains, villains have their own motivations. And thus, you can have, I think, more leeway into exploring gray areas, depending, though, on the nature of your campaign. But with monsters and going back into that whole, like, farming thing... It's like adventurers are not so much as adventurers and explorers as they are responsible for pest control. And of course, it's easy to kill pests. We have no moral compunctions about sending an exterminator. And that is the same, like, you know, but but because of that, because we also like add, say, culture to these monsters that it's not like everyone's attacking a giant insect, right? It's not like everyone's going like, oh, yes, we should get rid of the gelatinous cube. But when you start saying, oh, we need to get rid of the goblins, we need to get rid of the orcs, and you have that same mindset, that's when, yeah, it, you know, because it's it's framed under a moral lens. You do have this whole, like, the problem is with moral lenses, they're not perfect, right? So you then end up making all of these big, I think, narrative errors, harmful narrative errors in the process. And perhaps the satanic panic not necessarily directly responsible for that does make the environment ripe for that kind of interpretation of play. Also, I think like it runs into the world building problem, right? Like if goblins are some sort of rare, weird thing that appear in strange ruins, right? They can be alien and other. If they're a raiding thing, Theoretically, they have some level of intelligence and you could theoretically negotiate. But if there has to be a way that, like, if you negotiate with them and they're evil, like, you've become an evil party. So they have to, in a weird way, you end up with, for a contemporary example, you know, the Goblin Slayer problem, viz manga, but specifically the um, anime adaptation, where it's a massive controversy, not worth covering in full or even in part here, but right, like, people make goblins thus so horrible that they're really a propaganda enemy, right? Like, they have no redeeming characteristics. All they want to do is kill and reproduce, and they're evil, you know, which um, bears eerie res- similarities to certain forms of extremist thinking. But like, you know, that's the way that you've managed to keep a very strong binary good evil, which is in its own way monstrous. But, you know, on the other hand, if you make it so that every single enemy can be negotiated with because actually there's just a misunderstanding, you've really also in the same way removed moral agency from the world because you can't really make a true choice. You know, to wrap back around to video games and other media and point out that like RPGs are in conversation with a broader world and also are very unique in their own form of thing. This is, as always, something that I wish we knew before reading. <laughs> it's like I know what I know why we read. So we can get to these insights. I just find these insights so useful. For so many other things that we've taken up. Like, really? Mm, you know, like, I don't think I can watch an actual play anymore 
mm-hmm. without thinking, is the play meaningful in such a way that I feel like I am like a mindset changes or shifts? Uh, am I able to imagine like alternative worlds, which are better than the one that I'm currently in because of what I watched? You know, like, I think that's a really, really deep thing to look for now in games. And maybe it might have unfairly raised my expectations of games. But knowing that games have that potential is, I think, pretty important and pretty, I think, pretty good to have. But maybe I'm just looking for poetry when I, do, when I should be looking at prose. You know, it's one of those things. I don't know. I think it's good to be overly demanding of our particular art form, especially RPGs. Right, because there's been, I feel like there's been so little actually done. You know, it's it's a young art form, it's a nascent art form. Let's put our okay, heads in the so clouds. Proposal. Well, yeah, that's why I try and put it in conversation with such a broader thing is to point out that, like, it doesn't have those limitations, and people have laid out the theoretical limitations of other more inscribed things as being okay. huger I have than a proposal, we're imagining. You, should, you too. Why don't we make a game book that resembles... Oh, no, okay. no, just as I was saying out, out loud, I was like, no, no, Mahar, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. No, no. No, I think you no, know what I was going to ask, no, right? No, <laughs> I don't want to be clever. I'm not I'm not clever. Be- I don't want to be clever. Like, I want to make adventures. Between the three of and- us, I'm sure we can come up with something. Fiona, I'm, I'm sure between the three of us, we could write a game theory book. Fiona, like, I want to make I, a game I, I mean, which centers me a like, religious figure. <laughs> oh, no. It's, okay. Now we're you, getting somewhere. Now we're no, thinking. It's okay. like, you know, we can have like... Have you heard of a mega church and prosperity gospel and suddenly inserting yourself into the Bible? Because, like, it works pretty well for Joel Olstein. Okay, but we're not going to do a... Me- I love how we often are not going to have a mega church. I think we should have like a super carn, you know, <laughs> like something simpler, like you know, Stonehenge, like but fancy. Just a small congregation of people. Yeah, I don't need millions of worshippers. I just need thousands of them. Big difference. <laughs> We're looking at it. I I'd settle for a couple dozen TBA. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Do you imagine? That'd be so horrible. Like, what are your offerings to Jared? We bring you a book. <laughs> That's like, thank you. Now, how will you shelve it? We will shelve it here. That'd be terrible. Jared is just like some sort of knockoff Zed Master being like, look, you need to concentrate. And then just shoving someone off a bridge. <laughs> the first commit. Look, I have a poetry degree. I can like bullshit meaningful things all day long the first commandment of jared i'm not glib that's just my voice (laughs) how shall we know jared he is not glib that is just his voice okay so i was thinking and bear with me (laughs) laughing while saying this okay so maybe we should have a game where, where where we can set ourselves up as the center of the universe. So hear me out. I like where this oh is God. going. Hear me out. So what if as part 
as what what if as part of a marketing plan some like archaeological dig unearths a book and the book is like carbon dated to be say a thousand years old of course we're going to have to use our various powers to make it such right and then the book talks about a process in making people into the best versions of themselves and it will be eerily similar to this like podcast that people have been talking about and the reason why it's so revolutionary because the book talks about the trial to be kind (laughs) (laughs) where where these where these three goddess figures are constantly challenging the human world to confront themselves and will only promise eventual heaven slash apotheosis if and only if you're kind. Now, this brings us to the game. So most games progress in a linear upwards fashion, such that if you gain a level, you should keep on gaining levels to get more and more powerful. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But what if we do the reverse? What if at 13 years old or 16 years old, or let's say 18, you start at level 20, but you lose levels every time you do something violent and or unkind or untoward in order to fulfill your goal. So the real challenge is by the time you're 50, do you still have a high level? Mm. Indeed. So every time you kill that goblin, you lose the XP rather than gain it. Wow. Yeah, you gotta be more clever. It's a trial to be kind. See? 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 So then you start asking questions like, hmm, how do we forgive criminals? How do we, how do we like abolish prisons knowing that these are people that society's identified as harmful? And that's your trial to be kind. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how do we get and all the while this again? The great Where does that happen in there? Because all the while you'll only get because your trials are given through a broadcasted voice once a month at the start <laughs> at the start of the month. Hi, there will be these three voices. To these three voices. Yes. These three voices, you know, like broadcasting your mission, your trial to be kind for this month. And then game masters will want to really listen closely to their 45 minutes to one hour long um, messages to decode what needs to happen next. I think I think I think characters in the game world always (laughs) greet each other with the phrase. It's been a while. It's been a while, friend. It's been Stay a while. while. You, acknowledge, you acknowledge the time. Ah, the Heradric right? You acknowledge the time that's passed. Right? I think this can be something. And then and then you start off your discussions with a question. <laughs> you need to reflect. Yeah, okay. I think this is Fiona, I think we should do it. And then you don't even have to buy the book. All you need is to tithe. <laughs> yes. Look. And the priests will read it. And for copies you. will be sent to you. 
Look, you can just get your own copy of, you know, the Book of the Law. And when you feel like you've mastered it, you can see if you can work magic as good as me. Fiona, don't give them alternatives. (laughs) (laughs) No, you see, one of the effective ways to prove your messiah is to defeat other messiahs. Oh, that's true. Like, you know, Samurai Showdown. I am not the messiah. No, but I'm a crown. I am not the chosen one. But I'm the crown. I am not the. I am not the savior. I am not the redeemer. I'm not even a particularly good mother. I think I just got that role by virtue of baking cookies and having a rotund figure. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's pretty. Well, you know how mother nature good. can be. A, I think we all fit our. Roles I think we can do well. this. Yeah, and then we have the skill set to you know to 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 pull this off. We really do. It's maybe the only thing we can pull off. All right. Well, you know. at least me, I don't have anything else to contribute <laughs> to the world. Oh, whatever. You're our distribution channel. <laughs> no, you will be our first prophet. <laughs> no skills. I have an English degree. <laughs> I have a philosophy That's degree. That's true. You do want to. I have to pull out a creative writing under. degree on you, to in order to even compete with philosophy degree, on the useless but scale. Like, oh. I have a theater degree. How's that? Oh God, you do win. I think. <laughs> it's like, it's like, hi guys. I knew how to sing. Well, I don't know. I feel like people <laughs> like theater, and people don't like philosophy or poetry. Yeah, like that Julian right. or whatever. Was I forget that comedian, the one who has a degree, a double degree in philosophy and the, and the theater, where he was raised by his conservative pastor uh, of a father. He goes something like, "Oh yeah, you know, I am. Um, I'm, I came from a very conservative background. I'm Southern. My father's a pastor, so I took a degree in religion and theater. You know." I, I double majored in lies. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of like, oh my god, that's really funny. But yeah, I think I think you know. Okay, so interlude notwithstanding, um, going back to the book. <laughs> sorry, I have to. Re- I, I need to recover a little bit. It's just so stupid. It's it's a kind of stupid that I relish. Um, <laughs> Look, okay. we're like so more going, qualified for this than like the people involved in the FTX scandal. Like many of those people were taken in by a Harry Potter fan fiction that promotes libertarian ideals. Did y'all read that article? Because it's amazing. No, I have to know what you're talking I, about. Oh, so Harry Potter and the methods of rationality. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with. It's methods like a of less wrong cultist. Sure. Um, one of the people involved with. Sam Bankman Freed, like one of his girlfriends or something who is a CEO is a huge fan of it, who uses a lot of terms from it in like, you know, business correspondence, like world optimization. Oh. And like those people like destroyed like a billion dollars or some bullshit. So like we're probably better than that. Like I cannot produce negative one billion because I could not imagine screwing over that many people. Yeah. See? Qualified. <laughs> I think there's something wrong with the logic there. <laughs> I'm fine. I'll allow it. 
I think it's apples to oranges. Like, hmm, writing a game slash creating a religion vis-a-vis toppling the global economy. I mean, you know, those might be different points of comparison. Karl Marx was just a philosophy grad student. And look at him now, queen of heaven. (laughs) Did I tell you the biggest irony about Karl Marx? Karl Marx's grave specifically? Tell me about it. No. So Karl Marx is buried in the London Cemetery. And um, you have to pay five quid to get in. Oh, my God. (laughs) So it's like they're charging admission to visit Karl Marx's grave. All people. You know, there's the repeat. Guy Debord said, the real evidence of the power of capitalism is that if it convinced everyone that suicide was the best option, it would still sell you rope first (laughs) and conduct an efficiency study. It's just really funny that I find that so like it costs $6 to visit Karl Marx's grave. Man. (laughs) And that is like seven years ago. So I'm just kind of like, what is this? There is no, as one, as uh, this is from Business Insider, as one Marxist political activist told the journal, there are no depths of irony or bad tastes to which capitalists won't sink if they think they can make money out of it. That's just ridiculous and hilarious at the same time. Okay. So, I think actually, like, ridiculousness aside, I think um, the book will inspire a lot of thoughts, uh, including ridiculousness. But it, um, I do encourage everyone to. Re- I think we all have encouraged yeah. everyone more than to try to read this book. We've covered on this show. I think this book is actually a relevant read for most people working in games today. Yep. Yeah, it's worth the cover price. It is. Yeah. It truly is. And I say that very, very rarely of anything academically written. If if you're gonna do one difficult book a year and you haven't figured out what your difficult book is, consider this one. This one also isn't like super outrageously difficult i think so it's like you know a good one to to grab if you're not sure yeah like it's not going to be a book where you're like if i don't finish this chapter i'm gonna lose my place and never start it again and this chapter is 90 more pages but it is a book where you're like i gotta sit and think on that paragraph you know i think it's a happy medium okay on that note i think ringing endorsement of this book I think we should all read it. I think I might read it again, honestly, after all the conversations we've had about it. This is my I actually might time. want to read other things that we've read before. You know? Yeah. I kind of want to watch Cinderbrush again. Oh, God. Now that I've read it. Like, this is going to be a... Maybe I'll actually know what happened this time, you know? <laughs> yeah, if you want to, like, remember what happened that time, you know, and, like, tell me... Like, I I have the impression of, like, performance, and, like, it's very, it's very flashy. In, like, a subdued way. Yeah. It's weird. Well, it reminded me of soap operas, you know, which is a media I'm fascinated with, but where it's, like, it's very dramatic, but, like, the stakes of it being so dramatic sometimes feel unclear. Yeah. Like, I know they're not going to kill a named character because this is one shot and making them re-roll would take too long, but they need dramatic tension. 
do we want to call it? I think on that yeah. note, we've done our job. I think so. Yeah. Job accomplished. We just want to wish, like, you know, whatever greetings are pertinent. Yeah. Death I'm proud of us. It was a terrible fucking year. Yeah, it was rough. It was a hard one, but we made it through most of it. It was so hard. Far. You know, I just realized what question would have, would have been good to start this one. Well, we can do it as an exit so we don't What's have a mailbag. What's the biggest bag. challenge you're proud of overcoming this year? Yeah, we don't have a mailbag. Well, I'm completely off Twitter. Um, I've deleted my old Twitter. I, I love it. It's so liberating. Yeah. Well, I, I've published a hardback but like, book. Seriously, like, well, you know? I feel pretty good about that. <gasps> Which one, Jared? It's called The Isle. It's an adventure. You can and should buy it for to read and maybe play with. Mm. How about you, Fiona? This has been a year of mostly reversals for me in life. But, um, you know, I picked up a bunch of skills again that I had not used for a long time. And I'm still pretty okay at them. I just don't find them particularly exciting. Uh, I'm just proud of moving. Yeah. Yeah, moving was a big deal for me. After moving... Yeah, so like after four years in the tiniest, tiniest little apartment. These two know how small that apartment was. Oh my god. Yeah. It was 126 square feet. Oh my goodness. There are closets in the USA that are larger than my apartment, my old apartment. Yeah, like... And now... I don't live in a large apartment, but like I think my living room is bigger than your old apartment. I think so. Yeah, definitely. Well, at the new I know place. the bathroom is bigger than my old apartment. Hmm? At the new place. Like, the old apartment I lived in was a converted, like, factory space. Mm-hmm. So, like, that was mm-hmm. kind of, like, an abundance of space. Just mm-hmm. not a rationale to live in it. Yeah. I'm just glad it's, like, you know, we're, we're moving upwards and onwards, it seems, all three of us. Yeah. Because we're going to start a religion that will be sold called a trial to be (laughs) finished the sentence. (laughs) Oh, I am, I am working at a small bookstore and we did sell out of the aisle literally uh, a day ago. Um, I sold the last copy. Congratulations. Very exciting. We had five of them and I got Jared to go to a convention and vend for spear witch at it. And we sold a bunch of books at that convention. I'm just so sad that I wasn't able to see you two in real life. And the two of you have met Yo, in real life. Necronomicon 2024. I will find out a way for you to go there. And we could just do a additional episode of this All of Us Live at Providence. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, my gosh. Pro- and Providence is really gay friendly, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, maybe I could actually talk to the city of Providence and be like, look, I'm encouraging people to visit your city. And I have a I have an important blog, <laughs> but I actually really do like we Providence. Have, like, I, I think it's we great. Yeah, could you imagine? We have 20 episodes. We're going to have 12 more. We're going to have 40 episodes by the time this thing happens. Yeah, we'll be we'll be slow. Yeah, we're, we'll have our own religion by then. Hey, during the Satanic Panic, we hit 6,666 plays, y'all. We're no, over, really? We're wow. over 6,666. We're at... Uh, it's a sign. 6,677. Wow. Hey, that's not bad, you know. That means that we average 3,000 listeners per year. 
thank you everyone who's listened. And I'm thanking myself probably a couple hundred times because I replay episodes when I miss you too. <laughs> oh. Oh. It's like, oh, I have friends. Click. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'm getting maudlin. On that note, everyone, that I think note, we're it's done. It's a pleasure to hear your voice. And I believe it's a pleasure that for the audience to get to hear you too. I'm sorry to the audience that I haven't been replaced with a better cast member, but like there'll be a cute animal companion eventually and I'll slowly be phased out. <laughs> No, never. What's probably going to happen is we're going to end up on Twitch and we're going to have animal avatars. Oh, that's far more likely. Yeah, what are those called? Uh, I don't know. Sauce or VTube or whatever. VTuber. I want to be a yeah. VTuber when I grow up. Yeah, but yours would just be Fraser. Yeah, it would be like Fraser. Jimmy type. Fraser. <laughs> oh, okay. You know what's going to happen? <laughs> He's going to be Chibi Frazier. <laughs> Who's going to be Chibi Niles? Uh, I'm from a different series. I, I, I'm Chibi Bialyka from Black Lagoon, if I'm getting to be a Chibi character. Because I can see myself as Chibi Lilith. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's what, from Evangelion right. or the Bible? <laughs> from Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> Frazier. I don't know why you two think I've watched Frazier. Why would I be watch Seinfeld? <laughs> why would I be the mother of demons? Don't answer that question. <laughs> or Shinji Akari, savior of humanity. Spoilers for a show that came out when I was nine. <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 and that is trying Actually, that's to be kind thankful for this this eva mess i'm thankful that lilith um who is also shinji's mom gave birth to savior of humanity shinji and that he became orange goo for our sins bless him bless shinji akari that- he got in the robot so for our players that is your first trial to be kind <laughs> You should watch Evangelion, a really good series from nineteen. You will watch Evangelion, and you will listen to it, and you will see how kindness could have been used to change that tragic situation. You know, youth pastor voice, if you think of it, the hill on Calvary is a lot like talking to Genda. (laughs) 